Thank you for tuning into a podcast in our series, Real Life. Stay tuned for an inspirational exploration of dynamic experiences and insightful reflections on the highs, the lows, life presents. TBS Now Radio brings you engaging content no matter where you are listening to this stream. Don't touch that dial as you journey with our presenter and guest today. Remember, this is a real-life podcast stream coming to you from TBS Now Radio. Stay with us as we uncover faith-based principles and practical ways to make a success of life. Take two. Hello and welcome to Real Life with Femi Ibrahim. My guest today, I really am delighted to have him on the program today, is Councillor Tony Fish. Councillor Tony Fish is a Labour Party councillor representing Grey's Riverside. He left college in 1975 with A-levels in English and French. He's worked in insurance in the City of London and he got involved in political activity from 1982 and subsequently several voluntary organizations around disability and youth work. Tony first stood for election in 1990. He was first elected into the Thorough Council in 1995. From 1996 to the present day, Tony has held various leadership posts as a councillor, including portfolio holder for social care and environment, chair of standards and audit committee, vice chair licensing committee, a lot of really responsible positions over time. In 2013, Tony became mayor of Thorock. And in 2016, he attended the inaugural AFAC Foundation event, becoming a trustee as a result. Since then, he's been actively involved in all the outreaches, in the campaigns, and the funding bids. Alfax standing for Antonia Onyidamola, um, Folakemi Afelumo Kosher Foundation. Tony, you're really, really welcome to Real Life with Femi Ibiwoyi. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you, Tony. It's a privilege to have you on the program. So, Tony, let's get straight into it. Please share with my audience your early life where were you born and what was your early family life like i know you did say something about having lived in thorough most of your life yes i've lived in thorough all my life i was born in Orsett hospital um and i don't think it had long been converted from a workhouse um i had a new maternity unit there and i'm told that myself and my sister my twin sister we were the first set of twins born in the maternity unit there. Fantastic. Okay, so tell us what um, a lot of people in uh, the community won't be familiar with workhouses. Mm-hmm. So can you describe what a workhouse would have been like? A workhouse would have been pretty grim because it would be a place where you'd go if you were destitute, if you had no money, no means to support yourself. Um, so it would have been the barest uh, necessities that would have been provided um, bread and, and uh, water and things like that to, to eat uh, back-breaking work to do to support yourself in the you know to sort of um, keep yourself going in the Institute uh, not, not a nice place to be really 
Okay, is there anything that um, we have, any parallels that we can draw in present-day society to what work workhouse would have been like? Is it like social, um, like being on benefits? Yeah, I suppose the modern, <laughs> the modern <laughs> version would be uh, being on, on benefits. Um, but, but I mean, um, living on benefits is, is not a... Uh, great life either it's uh you know it's a life that um people struggle from mm. day to day and uh, if you get um, a big bill in then you really are struggling and with um the present system that we have a universal credit um mm -hmm. we know that uh, in recent times a lot of people have become homeless and destitute because of the um sort of time you have to wait before you start applying for universal credit to actually receiving your benefit okay in that time people have not been able to pay their rent and that kind of thing and then become homeless okay. so, so there is a, a modern kind of uh, parallel a parallel yeah okay you talked about backbreaking work um, is there a parallel in modern day life to, to that kind of uh, life well, a lot of the, the work a lot of the work the, the jobs that um, you see people doing around aren't particularly pleasant jobs um, you know, they're, they're out in all weathers. Even something like a car wash isn't a great a great life to, to be living because in the winter, even in the hot sun, that's going to be really unpleasant being out. Not unless you are the owner of the car wash. <laughs> somebody's going to benefit, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's the case in every situation, isn't it? There's always going to be somebody who benefits from, from hardship. So tell, tell my audience about your early life. So you're a twin. Yeah. And um, you were born in Osset Hospital. Yeah. Hospital. Um, is it the um, the hospital as we um, know it today? No. Or it was a, a different site, perhaps. No. Um, it's just that the, the hospital is still on the same site, hmm. but it's been downgraded over the years. Um, so it's to, much smaller. Oh, much smaller. You used to have an accident emergency unit there. You used to have a a nurse's home there, used to be teaching hospital as well, you know, for the nurses. Really? So yeah. where have all those services gone? Gradually disappeared over the years. Um, you know, funding, uh, cuts and things like that. Mm. And different different ways of organising things as well. So the uh, accident emergency unit went to Basildon, for instance. Okay, okay. So let's come back to your family. Yep. I'm very, very intrigued about what your early family life was like. So father and mother um, yep. were together. Yep. Uh, you were a twin. Were you yep. the first uh, offsprings of the family? Or uh, were you second, third? What position were you in the family? We were the only offspring. The only offspring. Yep. Oh, so yep. you must have been um, loved and pampered like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, it was a happy, happy upbringing. I, I couldn't um, sort of complain about it. I think my parents uh, did a really good job to um, fit me for later life. You know, uh, they were keen that I should be independent-minded um, and you know able to be independent as well. Um, and so, and also to kind of think for myself as well, mm. rather than just going along with what everybody else thought. Is that I'd, I'd always have to analyze it and uh, think is that really right okay so i think they gave me a very good upbringing from that point fantastic what was um what did dad do what did mom do uh well 
um, until we were 11, my mum worked, uh, looked after us. Okay. And then when we so went to... So she was stay-at-home mum? Yeah. And then we went to secondary school. She carried, She was working at the local shoe factory. Oh, is that the yeah. batter one? Yes. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. Um, okay. And then um, my dad worked at uh, Thames Board Mills, uh, which was a big employer in the area. Mm. Um, and he had various jobs before that as well. But it's all in that kind of, you know, that kind of work. Okay. Um, so we weren't fantastically well off, but we weren't really poor, I'd say. Mm. Uh, well, I wouldn't say, I'd say we were kind of somewhere in the middle. But like a lot of people living on this um, this housing estate, um, there wasn't a sense of, you know, rich people and poor people. It was a sense of everybody was together, more or less on the same level. Um, so, for instance, I remember just across the road, um, one of our, when we were growing up, one of our friends, her, her dad was a doctor, a GP. Mm. And so that was how it was in those days. Okay. All living in the same kind of area together. Fantastic. So, um, now you've talked about um, the, the local area. I want to ask you, what was Thorock like in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s? And how much has the influx of people from all over the world impacted on the indigenous community? Uh, well, in the 60s, it's, it's really interesting because it's a huge difference uh, in Thorock in the 60s and 70s and then from the 80s mainly because as I uh, said before about um, the number of people working in manufacturing industries in Thorock yeah um, when the Conservative government came in in 1979 under Margaret Thatcher yes she decided that uh, she would actually uh, change all that and a lot of people who uh, worked in manufacturing industries in Thorock and mm. the Riverside industries Things like the shoe factory, even yeah. Thames board mills. Um, a lot of those people uh, were no longer required to work. They became redundant. They became redundant mm. or unemployed. Um, and I can remember this is really uh, sort of not uh, noticeable for me because, um, in the as you said before, in 1975 I left college and went to work. Yes. And I could remember um, sort of being around during the day and seeing uh, grown adult men on the streets during the day. Mm. You'd never see that before yes. because those people had no work and they were just, well, they were looking for work or they were just sort of, you know, spending their time mm. rather than being employed in a factory or whatever they'd been doing previously. Mm. So that was a huge difference in society in, in Thurrock. And particularly in Thurrock, it seemed to be uh, very noticeable. Um, so that's, that takes you up into the 80s. And the second part of your question is um, about um, people coming into the area. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it has changed a lot. Um, but uh, to my, myself, I actually prefer that. Because yes. I, I, can, I can remember uh, in the, the previous to that, um, people used to talk about Thurrock as being a bit of a backwater. Mm. Sort of uh, middle of nowhere, back of beyond. And now, to me, with the people that have been coming into the borough, it feels more like being connected to the rest of the world. More upmarket. <laughs> Not necessarily upmarket, but you know, more sort of a, a, a sort of a, a 
part of the world, really, just part of, part of the rest of the world, rather than being sort of cut off and isolated and mm. forgotten about. It's very, very difficult to see uh, Thorok um, in terms of um, uh, being a fairly backward uh, community in terms of development, in terms of um, integration with society, because um, you come into Thorok, you come into Chafford Hundred, there is um, a very, very strong middle class um, uh, community mm-hmm. well established there. Mm-hmm. You move outside um, of Chafford Hundred into Grays. And, and Tilbury, there's so much development in the area and also there's a lot of regeneration um, that is going on mm-hmm. as well. I mean, how have this changes? How has it um, uh, altered the texture of um, uh, community relationships? Um, I think... Uh you can, you can see, I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, for instance, in, in Tilbury as well, um, there's more of a an entrepreneurial um, aspect now to the uh, sort of community there that there wasn't there before. Hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's changed. And you have a huge Amazon yeah. <laughs> centre there, as well as a port. Which, yeah, which is, which is interesting because... Um, Although there's a huge amount of investment into the area, I mean, how much do local people benefit from that, I wonder? <laughs> okay, moving on very quickly. <laughs> so, Tony, you had an accident in 1981. Yeah. What happened, and how much has this changed your perspectives of life? Well, I was born with a, sp- a spinal defect, which, well, but I could walk. I could walk 20 miles in a day if I wanted to. Um, but um, I was working in London, I was walking around in my lunch hour and um, slipped on an icy pavement mm. and fell on the base of my spine. So just got up and carried on walking. But then over a period of time, I noticed that my legs weren't working so well. And uh, then I, got, I came to the point another, a couple of days later where I was walking around again at lunchtime. And it was a bit. It was a bit like um, if you have a washing machine and somebody pulls the plug out mm. on the washing machine, and it carries on going for a while. Then it completely stops, and that's how my legs felt. They, they'd gone. It felt as if there was no power in there. So I just stood there for a while, and then um, managed to go back to work. And I had to go off to London Hospital mm. uh, in the ambulance, and they said that I'd got. Um, because I did so much walking in those days, my muscles were so big, they were pressing on the nerves. Oh dear. Um, that was their diagnosis. But uh, I think what actually happened when they did further investigations, because I had to go to hospital after that, because after that it got worse, they said <clears throat> that um, what probably happened is, with my condition that I was born with, whereas norm- normally if you have a fall like that, you have shock absorbers in your spine mm-hmm. and they absorb the shock but I haven't got that so as I, was, I mean, as a kid I was always falling over no problem at all but as you get older and your bones get more set yes that becomes a problem if, you, if that, something like that happens mm-hmm. so over a period of a few months I had to sort of come to terms with the idea that it could be a permanent thing rather than just uh, a passing thing mm-hmm. 
but I always think of it as being one of the best things that ever happened to me. Why, why is that? Because uh, it, I had the two choices. You can either kind of turn your, turn your face to the wall and feel really depressed, go into yourself, become really bitter, or you can try and make the best of what you've got left, which is what I decided to do. Which is a fantastic um, way to, um, re, to bounce back from adversity. Yeah. And um, that, again, highlights resilience, the ability to be able to see a challenge and to turn it around and to surmount it. Yeah, and I think, going back to you know, my upbringing, I think my parents helped with that as well, with the resilience, yeah. How did that, how did they specifically um, channel that? Um, they didn't allow me to feel sorry for myself, um, like I say, independence of, uh, of, of mind, and I think that they were fairly positive as well in, you know, mm. their, the way they um, sort of reacted to things, reacted to challenges in life. Fantastic. Yeah, so, you know, uh, it's become a, a way of life for me, really. It quickly became a way of life because it, it seemed to work. Uh, if, you, if you think positively, then if an opportunity comes along, you'll make the most of it. You'll go for it rather than thinking, well, I can't do that. And you've done very well for yourself, very, very well for yourself over the years. Let's talk a little politics now. Because I know you're a politician <laughs> and it's a privilege to be able to speak to one of the former mayors of Thorock. Social care and the NHS funding priorities have been converged in the same funding round recently. Yeah. From your own work in this area, do you think the government has got this balance right? Well, um, my... And sorry, a second second context to that yeah. is do you, how much of this money is actually going to trickle into social care rather than going to NHS managerial sal salaries which we know are quite substantial yeah well my um, detailed knowledge of um, social care um, I haven't been the portfolio holder since 2013 okay but um, I can uh, I'm a member of the health scrutiny committee so I have a knowledge and also I'm a member of the health and well-being board so I have a kind of strategic knowledge. And I would say that um, we've been talking about a funding crisis in the NHS and the crisis in the NHS for years and years. And the elephant in the room has been social care, hasn't been properly funded all that time. And then because of the pressure on social care, it means that there are more people now uh, who need to use the NHS who if social care was working properly, was, was better funded, they wouldn't have to do that. What is, the, what is the actual contextual difference from a person who is effectively earmarked for social care and a patient who is looked after by the NHS? Because sometimes the lines are so blurred Mm. that you actually find social care um, clients being placed in a hospital bed, yes. taking up that resource when they actually should be looked after in a social care centre. 
Yes, that's right. Yes. Or an institutional establishment. Hopefully that doesn't happen uh, so often um, in, in Thurrock because um, I know in my time, going back uh, even all that time ago, uh, we did work hard on making sure that that kind of thing um, was happening as little as possible because it is a, a waste of resources in every way, really. Um, and we have voluntary sector groups as well that um, help to facilitate that process so that, that you don't get too many people that should be accessing social care or accessing care in the community who are in hospital beds in Thurrock. Okay. I want to I ask you a question about um, your political longevity. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> I was going to ask you a question about um, what lessons you've learned about leading people, but I think that you've spoken about resilience and you've kind of alluded to how your parents um, influenced you and your perspectives of life. And I think that's, that's we've got enough s substance in there. The other thing I'd say about that <coughs> is what, what they always encouraged me to do is set a good example. And okay. I think that's the other thing in leadership as well, is setting a good example. And I'm very conscious as a, as a councillor that I'm a community leader as well, so that I need to, you know, my, my behaviour has to be um, above reproach, okay. more so than uh, the ordinary citizen. Okay, yeah. so is this is this how you've managed to stay in the political game? We want to, we want a bit more yeah. meat I'm, on the bones. I'm not sure about that really. I think... Um, because in, uh, in terms of staying in the political game, it's about... Well, I, I, whatever I do, I always try and do the best job I can. You've been 26 years <laughs> in the council. Yeah. 26 years. Yeah. So that's more than two and a half decades. In fact, if this was a marriage, you would have had <laughs> a silver plaque yeah. for your silver jubilee. Yeah. Um, and prior to that, you started your journey to um, to that council seat mm. in 1990. Yeah, so I had four goes where I, I didn't make it. So. so so, you've actually been in politics for th over three decades. Well, uh, well, uh, 31 I, years. I've been in, actively involved in politics since 1982. When wow, I joined the party. even longer. Yeah. Even longer. Okay, yeah. so... What is the elixir for longevity? I, How do you manage to keep winning these elections? Well, like I say, I always try and do the best job I can. Yes. Um, so I can remember, for instance, when I was chairing the uh, council meetings when I was mayor, a lot of the mayors not too keen on that because um, it can be a, a difficult job. But I was determined that I was going to do the best job I could, and I was going to try and keep order in the meetings, make sure they were, that everybody got a fair crack of the whip. And the people in the public gallery felt involved in it. They felt like they, they, could, they had people in front of them that they could have some respect for, rather than what we sometimes have had in council meetings where people throw comments across the chamber and it will turn... Or get kicked out of their own meetings by... Um... <laughs> the person who organised the Zoom, the Zoom <laughs> meeting. What was the name of that council? Was oh, it yeah, in yeah. Yorkshire or somewhere? Yeah. Some some strength. Yeah, place. Know you but um, yeah. So you know, and I ne I never liked that because I always thought that you know, uh, councillors, uh, when they're debating 
uh, in the chamber and when they're in, in those meetings, the public should feel that um, people, that the people that are representing them, are doing a good job and not just having having a laugh with each other and banter across the chamber. I like the banter. I yeah. like the <laughs> I like the laughter and the banter. Yeah. I was going to ask you about some really hilarious um, episodes, and maybe we'll come to that. We're going to go to a break, yeah. and when we come back, um, we're going to look at your involvement with the Alfac Foundation. Uh-huh. You've been listening to Real Life with Femi Biwoy. My guest today is Councillor Tony Fish. We'll be right back after this break. Whatever you do, please don't touch that dial. You are tuned in to a radio stream from TBS Now with Femi Ibiwaya. Inspirational, engaging, uplifting radio. Don't touch that dial. So welcome back to Real Life with Femi Bure. Councillor Tony Fish, you have been a tremendous delight uh, so far. So in our first segment, we got to know you, we got to know about your political journey, and now we're talking about your involvement with the Alfac Foundation. So welcome back. Thank you. We also have the privilege, the unique privilege during the break of having had uh, an opportunity, a call from our founder, the founder of the Alfac Foundation, mm. um, of which you're a trustee. Yep. And she's on the line as well and wanted to say hello to the audience. So, Sister Fola Afelumo, hello, how are you? Good, hello, good, af- good, good morning. Um, how are you? Yeah, we're... Fish, how are you? Yeah, I'm, f- I'm very well, thank you. So, um, is there anything that you would like to say to us? Because we're going to be talking about the Alpha Foundation right now. In this segment of yeah. our conversation. Yeah, my name is Fola, Fola Fedumo. I'm, I'm the founder of Alpha Foundation. And the foundation has been running for well over nine years now. And we have Councillor Tony Fish as one of our trustees. Actually, when we started the, the inauguration of the charity, he was the mayor uh, at that point, at that time, and I invited him to, to cut the ribbon to open our very first uh, charity 5K work that we did uh, in 20, 2013. And she, he has been very, very, very supportive to the to the charity since he's been um, um, a trustee. Okay, fantastic. So, well, it's it's lovely that you came in at this juncture of the interview. Is there anything that you would like to tell the audience, uh, even as we continue our um, uh, discussion with um, Councillor Tony Fish about RFAC and maybe how? Um, anyone uh, wanting to support can um, can avail themselves of uh, opportunities to volunteer. Yeah, uh, me as a charity, we raise an awareness of thrombotic thrombocytopenia purpura (TTP), which is a rare blood condition, and we do a lot of awareness uh, events throughout the year. In fact, we have a uh, um, charity ball coming up on the fourth of uh, Saturday, the fourth of December. 
and every time we need volunteers to help us with all the activities of the of the charity you know it could be helping us uh, uh, with the with the event or help us um tell about uh, ttp to your colleague to your groups or just support us in any way financially physically in any way you could support us as a charity it could be maybe you're a photographer or you are you are good at technical things. You know, anything you can do to support the charity, or just a word of uh, a word to, to someone you know to say, "Oh, have you heard about TTP before?" Thank you so very much, um, uh, Sister Fola. We really appreciate speaking to you this evening and this morning, uh, wherever our audience is listening to. Um, uh, Hopefully, we will have opportunities again to have you come into the studio to come and speak to us about Alpha Foundation fully. But um, I think we'll we'll crack on with our interview now. Thank you. Thank you so much for calling in. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Mr. Biwoye. Thank you, Councillor Tony Fish. Have a good interview. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye now. Bye bye bye. Bye. -bye. bye. So that was um, that was quite um, f uh, fortunate, wasn't it? Mm. So let's uh, get back on track with yep. our uh, discussion. So tell my audience why you decided to volunteer for and campaign for Alfac Foundation. The main reason, really, is Fola. <laughs> what is it about her <laughs> that got you started? She's well. She's such an inspiration. And, uh, you know, our, our stories are similar in, in a way because, um, you know, I had a adversity in the sense of my becoming a wheelchair user. Yeah. And then um, managed to overcome that. And then she had that terrible situation with her daughter. Hmm. And she's overcome that, made or made it into something positive. Okay. Yeah. So she talked about thrombotic thrombocytopenic pupera which is one of a number of hidden health conditions that has not had adequate spotlight and therefore limited research, focus and funding. Since your involvement with Alphac Foundation, what has changed? Has the work of the charity achieved a greater focus of funding in particular in any way? Um, yeah, I think um, because I've got some experience because I've been involved in the voluntary sector longer than I've been involved in politics. <laughs> um, so th that's always been about um, funding. There's, there's never that much funding for voluntary sector organisations. So it's always about bids for funding from organisations. We, we've got the lottery since 1994, which has been a, a godsend because there's that pool of money there. And, and not uh, everybody will say the lottery has been a godsend, especially those who have been playing since 1994, <laughs> and I've never won £10. <laughs> that's true, that's true. That's the but it's side. a good cause. But those people have <clears throat> contributed to it, so that's that, that, to that to our funding. To the funding, yeah. yes. So I've just been able to bring my experience and knowledge of the funding to, uh, you know, funding systems to bear um, when it comes to our facts and and. Fala and I work on bid for funding on a regular basis. Okay. And hopefully sometimes we're successful. Okay, so um, what has the funding successes, what has it been able to deliver in terms of achievements 
for Alfac? I think uh, what we've been able to do is set up a regular system of awareness sessions. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then also FOLA, alongside that, has been working to uh, build up the uh, relationships with people like NHS England, Public Health England, local public health department in Thurrock. Um, and so that then means that uh, we get involved in consultations to do with um, health. Uh, NICE, we've got a relationship with NICE now as well. Okay. Um, we've been involved with a, a pharmaceutical company called Sanofi, um, which has uh, helped to raise our profile and hopefully will continue to help to raise our profile. They've also given us a, a small amount of funding to... Um, be able to do our work in terms of awareness sessions, that kind of thing. You've also you've also expanded the reach um, of um, Alfac Foundation into collaborations with um, national organisations, uh, blood organisations, the Blood Transfusion Society yeah. in uh, Nigeria, for instance. Yeah. Um, you've also extended the uh, awareness to um, now encompass um, uh, sufferers or people living with TTP in as far places as Georgia, Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia in the United States of America, um, far-flung places uh, around the globe are beginning to connect. So um, how would you say, how would you view um, the track record so far? Would you say that um, the charity has been um, uh, particularly successful in uh, campaigning and in raising its awareness, or has it been a slow burn? Um, I think it's been a bit of both, really. I think it's been a slow burn. Do you know, I think Zoom has helped us a lot, <laughs> funnily enough. Again, you know, out of adversity. Different strokes. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Out of adversity has come that... Um, that blessing for us, really, because in terms of being able to contact more people, mm. our reach has, has been um, much bigger because of that. Uh, we had an event last December, um, and we had over 100 people involved in that on, on Zoom. Yeah. Like you say, in America and in Nigeria. So um, a global reach, really, and um, which we wouldn't have been able to achieve and also with our awareness, other awareness events that we've done since then on Zoom, they've all been very well attended, and uh, the interest is growing rapidly now. I think. Yeah. So I was going to ask you to tell my audience about um, about Fuller, the the founder's story. You know uh, what it's like working with her, but strangely enough, we have heard her voice. Yeah. Um, textured in the initial part of this uh, second segment. So I think that is um, kind of a moot question now. However, where do you think she draws her strength from? God, and, I think. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and what are the qualities that you most admire in her? I mean, obviously she's not here right now, but she's probably listening intently. <laughs> yeah. Now, I thought she's a deeply religious person, so I'm sure that's a, a really strong... You know, a, a anchor for her. Yeah, yeah a strong anchor for her. Mm. 
but she's she's a, an amazingly kind person as well, mm. and and uh, thoughtful, very thoughtful as well. Mm. She's got lots of really. In fact, um, I mean, uh, I can remember. I can tell you a personal thing that happened to me in two thousand and seventeen. My mum passed away. I'm sorry to hear and, that. And uh, I didn't really know Fola that well then, mm. but um, we became a lot closer because of that. Mm. And uh, something I learned a bit about um, African culture is that um, when when somebody passes away. Yeah, the people that are left, they're really well supported, yeah. and it's not just a case of sorry for your loss, and then they go, oh, sorry, a bit embarrassed now because we're talking about somebody dying. We'll we'll move away. We'll let you get on with it. Mm. They really do support you. So you know, it's, and since then she's been like my guardian angel. I'd oh, say. fantastic, fantastic! What a lovely, what a lovely lady. Okay, so how do you think going forward? Looking into the future, if you had a crystal ball, which you probably don't, but how do you think that the charity can build on its successes to date, continue to achieve more in the rapidly changing world where virtual collaborations, which you alluded to just now, is increasingly replacing the physical meeting space? Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's, it's more collab uh, collaborations building on those collaborations that we've already started. So we have plans to um, develop an operation in Nigeria mm -hmm. and um, get more of a... What about Ghana? Yeah, yeah, you know, West Africa, whole of Africa, why not? Because, you know, there's, there's definitely um, a demand for, for that kind of, uh, for what we're doing here. Have you been to, have you been to Africa? I haven't yet, but I'd love to go. But you yeah. definitely will yeah. be going. Yeah. <laughs> <I'd love laughs> Excellent. Go. Excellent. Yeah. Um, Excellent. So, so, yeah, so there's, there's lots of work to do there. Build, building up we've all, what we've already started, and I think um, the future's bright, really. Yeah. Excellent. It's exciting. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, we're going to go to another break. Yeah. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about the pandemic. We're going to talk about the financial shocks, the uncertainties that it's brought. And we're going to look at um, some of the other um, institutions in the community that are a force for good, especially the police and also um, uh, our counsellors. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're listening to Real Life with Femi Buoy. My guest in the studio today is Councillor Tony Fish. Whatever you do, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with you after the break. You are tuned in to a radio stream from TBS Now with Femi Ibiwaya. Inspirational, engaging, uplifting radio. Don't, don't touch that dial. Welcome back to Real Life with Femi Ibiwaya. My guest today is Councillor Tony Fish. Um, he is a Thorok Councillor. He's been the mayor of Thorock in 2013, and it has been a wonderful delight to listen to his experiences and to hear him talk about one of the charities he's particularly passionate about, the Alfac Foundation. Hmm. Tony, you're welcome back uh, from the break. Thank you. 
the pandemic has brought a lot of uncertainty and financial shock, leading to many people falling ill with mental health issues and other issues, real physical health issues, as well as um, unfortunate business failures or maybe loss of work. How is the Thorough Council leading with local initiatives to address these problems? Um, well, I think it's really basically, you mentioned earlier about working in collaboration. In the area of mental health, for instance, um, the council was working with <clears throat> people like CC, uh, the CCG, Clinical Commissioning Groups, mm -hmm. and the Essex Partnership University Trust um, to develop um, better services because um, I think even before the pandemic there was a recognition that there was difficulty in accessing mental health services um, and so by working in um, partnership with those other organisations collaborating together um, they're looking at how to um, provide better access to mental health services mm. and also to bring generally health services closer to people, so um, into um, primary care, mm. so uh, people can access mental health services through their GP, for instance. Okay, so let's talk about um, the African community, because obviously Thorough African Group focuses on um, uh, the community of Africans, whether they're Chinese Africans, because we have Chinese in Africa now, mm -hmm. uh, whether they're Caucasian Africans, whether they're black Africans, or whatever flavor, or Asian Africans, yep. you know. Um, what exactly is the government doing, or the council doing, to increase the awareness within these communities so that there can be a greater take-up of the services because the ratio of um, people responding from the African community must be substantially less than those within the uh, mainstream community accessing these services. Um. I think it's it's definitely um, the case that there's uh, a lower take up of um, of services, all kinds of services, social care, that kind of thing as well. Is it a taboo thing? Is it a cultural thing? Is it a cultural barrier? Is it lack of information? Is it because people do not want to admit and confront the issues that are facing them and would rather bury their heads in the sand? What is the issue? I think it's all of those things probably. As, as, uh, contribute to it um, and so I think it's just really a case of trying to engage people and break down those barriers okay is the police doing enough to highlight the good they do in society or in the community um, no. okay so 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 the question the question really is is the profile of the police within the African community substantial enough to encourage people to feel that the police is their friend? Or is the police 
more focused on law enforcement rather than community engagement? What is your view? Um, I think I think as from my own experience as a, as a ward councillor, I think the police do um, try and focus more more efforts now on community policing and um, engagement with communities. Um, and I think we need to do more. They need to do more of that. What exactly are they doing in terms of initiatives that you're aware of, if, if any? It's, it's I mean, obviously, putting you on the spot, you're not a representative of the police, yeah. but um, just as a politician with whom the police have to do. I think they, they do have a dedicated community police, okay. um, and that's part of their Is role. Is that PCSOs? No, not PCSOs. They're actually okay. neighbourhood polices. Police, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, and they're, and they're, part of their role is to actually engage with people. Mm -hmm. um, so they'll come to our local forum meetings and um, you know, engage with residents there. They have these um, coffee with cops meetings as well. And they really? try, try and get people to come along to those. Where, where are these advertised? Um, I'm not since we've had the pandemic. Obviously, things are going to be changing, aren't they? But certainly before the pandemic, yes, that was a regular thing in um, like like community centres, like local library, for instance. Right. Uh, Who would you typically coffee. expect to see there? This is the problem in, in this meeting. Yeah, that's that's probably the wrong the wrong point really for that to, that engagement to happen. It needs to be a bit more the police going to to the communities, and I think they do, you know, attempt to do that. So, well, so, so you, think, you think their strategy is a well-worn pathway, and it's, um, it's attracting the same old suspects, so to speak, the same, the same crowd, rather than breaking into new uh, communities? Um, yeah, I think it's probably... Uh... Probably, at, um, like if you, go, if you go to forums, you'll see the same people going to the forum time after time. So you're not seeing a wide spread group of people. Yeah. How can they make the um, respondents more diverse? How can they appeal to a much more diverse and inclusive um, audience? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Okay. Something like that. Stop and search yeah. is a big thing on the on the police agenda. Now, obviously, this is again putting you on, on the spot, but um, just as a citizen, citizen Tony Fish, not not councillor this time, but citizen Tony Fish, what is your perception of uh, stop and search? Do you feel that it's properly nuanced? Do you feel that it's um, disproportionately targeted at um, certain groups within the community. Well, I've never been stopped. So Thank that, God for that. that. That probably tells you something. Um, <laughs> and um, they so, probably recognise you as yeah. um, as um, a prominent councillor. So maybe you wouldn't be um, the perfect citizen cane. I think maybe we need to look at somebody who is a little bit more blended into the um, into the landscape than yeah. somebody who is an Amazon. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what you are. <laughs> <In Yeah. Thorough. laughs> mm. 
Yeah, so my, my perception would be that uh, it's not nuanced enough. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Mm. What do you think the police should do about that? Again, I, th I think it's about engagement. You know, um, if people understood um, what the police are trying to achieve, because, they, I mean, there is this kind of legitimate reason for doing stop and search in the first place if you do it in the right way. Yeah. And if you do it with people's consent, you know, in the sense mm. that people understand why you're doing it yeah. and therefore they're on board with it. Okay. Mm. Okay. Fantastic. What can, is... I, can I just go back on yeah, one of the answers that I gave? Because yeah. I don't think I, think I gave a full enough answer, really. When you asked me about, you know, how can the police engage with uh, communities more successfully, I said, I don't know. Yes. Well, the, the reason I feel like I don't know is because I'm not the right person to ask. Okay. I wouldn't start from the point of view of asking me mm -hmm. how they can do it better. I, I would uh, be talking to people that are p part of those communities. Okay. So, I accept that because that's not your forty. And you're just making a comment as part of the community. Mm. And you, you, you have a valid viewpoint mm. as a citizen and as well as a leader mm. in the community because mm. you're one of our leaders. Mm. And we can't take that away from you. What is your ambition beyond the council? <laughs> Will you consider running for the office of the member of parliament? Um... Possibly, yeah, possibly. I, I wouldn't have ruled it out, but I mean, at my age, I'm possibly going to struggle to be selected by any constituencies, I think. Never say never. Yeah, but I wouldn't rule it out. So, what would it take um, to be persuaded to run as an MP? Um, From where you are now? I'd have to, have to think that it was... Uh, going to be something that I could really I'd, I'd really be able to make a difference for people because that's what I feel I can do at the moment in my in my ward in Rays Riverside. What is your greatest triumph to date as a politician? Uh, I, I, it was a long while ago it was in 2001 um, I was uh, involved with the disability organization and we wanted some funding um, to be to build a centre for independent living in Thurrock. And um, this was when Morrison's was about to be built. And in return for the um, planning permission, they had something called planning gain. And there was a certain amount of money which uh, was available uh, for projects. And so as a councillor, I was asked to put forward a bid the Centre for Independent Living, and we were successful. Fantastic. So we actually received half a million pounds worth of funding. That is a lot. Is there any any of it left? <laughs> it's in a building. It's, it's part of a building. So the building was built because of it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Okay. So um, we're coming close to the end of our interview. Um, today and I really thank you for your candid answers but before I go um, life is a preparation for eternity mm -hmm. so if you had a bucket list what would be definitely on it what must you do 
before you hang your gloves or kick the bucket or they have so many many different definitions of um of that what what must you do before you uh leave this mortal coil i'd love to travel more i've really missed traveling i've not been able to travel in the pandemic you know with the uh, travel restrictions so see a bit more of the world okay is that all i think so off the top of my head yeah i haven't got any sort of real real burning ambitions because part of my sort of philosophy of life and my sort of positivity of positivity of life is to be happy with what you have okay do you have any final thoughts you know for our listeners uh, anything you would like to say to them um, burning in your heart or just a word of encouragement to the community uh, to get their game up? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, um, it's been a, a pleasure to uh, to talk to you about uh, my um, my life and uh, you know, my work as a, as a politician and work in the uh, community. Um, and... My ambition for, for our community in Thurrock is that we are more united, that we don't have um, divisions, um, and that um, you know, we can all sort of get along with each other, engage with each other, and uh, understand each other's perspective. Thank you very, very much, Councillor Tony Fish. You have been a great delight and a wonderful, wonderful giver. Um, we've come to the end of our time together. Um, it's been fabulous. It's been insightful. It's been engaging. It's been captivating. And we certainly hope that we will have another opportunity in the not too distant future to have you come back on the show and talk about some other things, especially about your, your road to your next political milestone. <laughs> Until the next time, it has been a wonderful delight to have all of you listening in to Real Life with Femi Biwaye on the Thurrock African Group Community Voice Radio. Until next time, see you then and keep listening.